0: This Testimonies to Ministers I'm reading from, page 452, over to page 453, it's entitled Be Clean. Let God's Word be the guide and the rule of life. Let that Word, expressing His revealed commands, be obeyed. Oh, well, this is a big order. Let it be obeyed. Let it be the rule of life. Now, if you let it be the rule of life, and you obey it, then you're going to have success. God summons everyone to put forth all his powers as a responsible being to do his plainly specified will. What does the Lord say about striving to be among the 144,000? Strive with all your power. Try with all your power. All your power, all your might to be among the 144,000. This says, God summons every one to put forth all his powers as a responsible being to do his plainly specified will. If you do this, you will show it. Now, this is very uh, emphatic, and very important. If you do it, you will show it. If you don't show it, you talk about it. It's vanity. It's hypocrisy. Grappling with your own inherent defects of character, which are at war with spiritual advancement, is proof that you are doing your part of the work. Will God compel your obedience? Will he compel your will? Never. The Lord has furnished you with capacities, with intelligence, with reason. He has sent from heaven his only begotten Son to open the way for you and to place within your reach immortality. What account can you render to God for your weakness, your disobedience, your impurity, your evil thoughts, and evil works? What account can you render to God for these? God has appointed means if we will use them diligently and prayerfully, that no vessel shall be shipwrecked but outride the tempest and storm and anchor in the haven of bliss at last. But if we despise and neglect these appointments and privileges, God will not work a miracle to save any of us, and we will be lost as were Judas and Satan." Do not think that God will work a miracle to save those weak souls who cherish evil, who practice sin, or that some supernatural element will be brought into their lives, lifting them out of self into a higher sphere where it will be comparatively easy work without any special effort, any special fighting, without any crucifixion of self. Because all who daily because all who dally on Satan's ground for this to be done will perish with the evildoers. They will be suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. If God has made provision for man to have eternal life, he has means to meet the requirement that man shall practice holiness in this life. All who would evidence that they have a hold on the future life will give practical demonstrations in their life, their character, that they are living in newness of life, impurity and holiness here, following that which is revealed. The way to heaven has been laid open at infinite cost to the Father and the Son. Are we individually walking in that way, complying with the conditions? Are you in the way? Are you following the leader, the light of life? All who would evidence that they have a hold on the future life will give practical demonstrations in their life, their character, that they are living in newness of life, impurity and holiness here, following that which is revealed. Turn to the book of Colossians, please. Third chapter. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, this is a a big if. This is a basic if. As a matter of fact, this if is is, uh, basic to all uh, profession of faith and all uh, growth and grace, regeneration, sanctification, if. What, what a tremendous amount of, of content in two letters, if. If ye then be risen with Christ. What does that mean to you, if ye be risen with Christ? Accepted his death and his resurrection. Yes, if we've accepted it, then what, finally? We may accept it now. Be baptized. Be, be baptized. Father. That's right. Now, if we've come up uh, in Christ be risen in Christ, having accepted him as our Savior, our resurrection, our righteousness, our holiness, our sanctification. Then we show it by by being baptized and then rising in Christ. Now, if we rise in Christ, then we're going to have the grace of Christ to do what Christ did. This is the concept that we need to get hold of and hold firmly to and see that it's converted into practice as this indicated here. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. What are we going to seek then? But you know it's just as natural as water running downhill for us to seek the things of the world. Seek, seek the things that uh, fill the eye, that uh, titillate the fancy, that do the same with the ear, that kind of music, those things that we like to... Uh, to feel, to touch, and to taste, and so on. Now, this is natural. Natural to the man who has not risen in Christ, and natural to the natural heart. Well, the only way that we're going to overcome this natural tendency is that we be thoroughly converted. If we're not thoroughly converted, then we simply have a head religion, and we could talk about religion Uh, probably with uh, considerable ease and intelligently too. But the great concern is that what we talk about is what we do. In other words, we practice what we preach. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Well, this tells us one important thing, that Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. As a matter of fact, Paul makes this affirmation a number of times. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, this is so important, the Lord reiterates it here. Set your affections on the things above and not on the things here on earth. Well, I used to have my mind set on the things of earth. And it it, it took some time to get my mind off of a lot of the things of earth. This is what it does. It takes time. It's something we have to labor at. We have to have the grace of God to labor at it. It isn't something we inherit. Not something that comes natural to us. In fact, it's natural, as it indicates in the first verse there, that uh, uh, otherwise is the case. But if we be risen with Christ, then we'll be go, we'll be come overcoming these things. Verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. For ye are dead. Uh, here, here are dead men who are alive. How how are they dead and how are they alive? In what way are they dead and what way are they alive? What are they dead to and what are they alive to? Andy, how are they dead? Dead to the world. Dead to the world. And the world's pretty big. The world takes in everything that's contrary to righteousness and holiness. So they're dead to all of that. So now this is what we want to remember, that if we're risen in Christ, then we're dead to the world. That's what we've done. We've died to the world. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Folks, well, here's the crux of it all. If our lives are truly hid with Christ with Christ, in Christ with God, then we'll be successful. But if they aren't thus hid, then it's going to be uh, very difficult for us. Uh, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Well, he's rewarded us then for abiding in him by his grace through this probationary period. Then, when he appears in glory, we'll be with him in glory. This is when the kingdom of glory is finally completely ushered in. Verse 5 Mortify. What's mortify mean? Destroy. What? Kill, isn't it? Do the things you don't like. Do things you don't like. Means to embarrass. Huh? Means to embarrass. Mm -hmm. Well, all these are connotations. What you know when a body begins to mortify, what it does? Begins to die. Mortification is the dying process. Then it has these other connotations. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. Now, to put it in the, in the frame of connotation with which we're most familiar, we would say to mortify our flesh means then to deny our appetite, deny self, and to put ourselves under a very strict discipline, not to give vent to these appetites. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Now, your members, this is your eyes, your ears, your nose. Your senses, these control your members. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. What's inordinate mean? Extreme, inordinate affection, uncleanness, pardon me, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. You know what this is? Well, this means uh, inordinate lust, extreme lust evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So we've got a church full of members, two kinds. One class that is, by the grace of God, seeking to be obedient, uh, to abide in Christ, to overcome, uh, to do as verse 2 says, set their affections on things above and to be dead to the things of the world. You've got another class who are not obedient. They're going the way of uh, their inclinations. Verse 7, in the which, this is disobedience, the antecedent of which here is disobedience. In the which, or in disobedience, ye also walk, Sometime when ye lived in them. To whom does this apply? It applies to all of To everyone. All right. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now, he also put off all these. So what does God expect of the professing Christian? He professes that he's put off all these things. So what does God expect of him? What does this statement say here? It's that. That what we are talking about will be known if we do it. But now, ye also put off all these anger. Now, you ever get angry? Well, this is one thing anger, wrath, malice. What's malice? You know what wrath is, you know what anger is. What's malice? Chief. It's mister. No, not quite. Evil doing. Well, it results in that, all right. Viciousness. That's closer. Evil thinking. Yes, uh, that coming closer. If you do a thing with malice, that means you do it with a forethought. Uh, There's a legal term called malice prepense. That means that in jurisprudence that you have done something with motivation. For instance, if you hate somebody, you you have malice in your heart toward him, you may shoot him. That's malice prepense, a forethought. That's what that means. And now you also put off all of these. Now, what are you going to put off if you're risen in Christ? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Now, what's the Bible definition of blasphemy? Right, professing to be something you're not, and disobedience, transgression, trespassing. All this is a blasphemy. Doing what God has told you not to do, and you go ahead and do it anyway. Filthy communication out of your mouth. So put off all of these. Lie not one to another. You ever lie one to another? Well, you're not going to do that if you're risen in Christ and you have your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. You can't do this if you put off the old man with his deeds, for you've got on the new man that doesn't do this and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now this new man is in the image of whom? In the image of him that created him. Well, the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new man. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Then, how many um, classes are there? None. None. No classes. What do they call them in India? Yeah. Cast. No cast. No classes. All are one in Christ. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Now, this is this is a very beautiful. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. What are you going to put on? Mercy. You're going to put on? Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. What is it going to lead you to do? Forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, who's to do this? The heathen? The tares? The elect of God. Oh, he said, but but on therefore as the elect of God. Let's go to Isaiah 65. I'm coming back to Colossians. Isaiah 65, maybe it's verse 8, somewhere along there. We'll see. Isaiah 65. Verse nine And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Now who's going to elect who is going to inherit his mountains? And what are his mountains? What does the Bible tell you his mountains are? The church. The church and its all of its that is the denomination and all of its churches. They're going to inherit the mountains. And who are his servants? Well, let's read here to find out who his servants are. But if ye but if ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, that troop of the disobedient, and that furnish the drink offering Unto that number, these are those who are to be numbered to the sword, therefore will I number you to the sword. Now, these are the ones we've been reading about who are the sons of disobedience. They, they, they don't have their mind on heavenly things. They haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. They've continued on in the natural uh, man. Therefore I will number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, Ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Now, when he called to his servants, this takes you back to, to Micah 6 9. What does he say when he called? Hear, hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? This is when he spake. Therefore, verse 13, therefore thus saith the Lord God. Behold, my servants shall eat. Now we go to the Revelation, the seventh chapter, and it tells us who his servants are and and numbers them. How many are there? All right. There's 144,000 then are numbered to the seal. And there the rest are numbered to the sword. Now you remember this. 144,000, they're all numbered. 144,000 numbered to the seal. The man who does this, the men who do the slaying have two things. One is a seal, the other is a sword. And all in the church are numbered. Hundred and forty four thousand, so far as the numbered ones, are numbered to the seal. Now there may be others that we don't know about, but so far as Judah and Israel is concerned, there's one hundred and forty four thousand. All the rest that aren't sealed are numbered to the sword. Now this is a story or a picture of those who are sealed and those who are not sealed. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat. What are they going to eat? Well, they're going to eat all good things, all good things spiritually and physically or materially. But ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit, and ye shall leave your name. Now this is the majority here. They're going to leave their name. This is the name of the church. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. Who are his chosen? Who are his elect? Who are they? All right. Who are these others? These who make up the church, who control the church, the majority in the church. You've got 144,000 on one hand, and you've got uh, over 2 million on the other hand. And the number's going up rather rapidly. Ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen. So when the slaughter takes place, and God cleans up his house, then we've got the house, and we've got the name. Seventh-day Adventist. But this says the name is left to us for... A curse. Now why a curse? Think. Why is the name left for a curse? Because of all the, the profession that these people was making but not doing. And that's right. And and then what has God done? What is the world looking upon at that moment? He poured out his wrath upon them. He poured out his wrath upon them and, and the world are looking upon uh, maybe two, three, four million dead people around the world. And and they're also apprised of the fact that those who escaped the seal had been pointing this out for 50 or 60 or 70-odd years, had it all written out in the literature. of Precisely this thing was to happen that has happened. So they're going to know. So the name's left for a curse. So well, what's God going to do? We knew a person over in the island of Grenada had a dog call him no-name. God's not going to call us no name. He's going to give us a name. What kind of a name will He give us? A new name. For the Lord God will slay thee and call His servants by another name. And Isaiah says elsewhere, or Zechariah says, yes, and Isaiah says over here in the 62nd chapter and uh, the second verse, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And Zechariah speaks of it too. All right, that's the picture. In contrast, that is a picture of the elect in contrast to the the unelect, or those who fail uh, to make the most of their election, of the possibilities of their election. Uh, let's read Matthew twenty four twenty four. That's easy to remember, Matthew twenty four twenty four. What scripture is that? What does it say? Matthew twenty four twenty four. 24. watch. For 24. there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Okay, read on. And shall show great signs and wonders. And so much that shall deceive, or if it were possible, they shall deceive the very... Well, what is the implication here? They weren't alone now. They had many others with them in this community. So what's the implication here? That the elect were not deceived, but what's the implication? So that all the rest were deceived, and the, and the elect would have been deceived, it would been possible. But what made it impossible for the elect to be deceived? Can Christ be deceived? Did Satan deceive Christ when he told him to jump off the pinnacle, and so on? Was Christ deceived? What kept him from being deceived? The, the word of God. What did he say? It is written. written. So how are the elect living then? By the word. By by what is written. This is the only thing that's keeping them from being deceived. Now what about the others? They can tell you lots of things. They can tell you what Daniel Revelation teaches and a lot of other books, but they're not living by what is written. And they know a lot too about what is written, but they're not living according to what is written. And this tells us folk how important it is not only to know the truth, but to live the truth, to do the truth. All right, let's come back now to Colossians. I'm going to reread verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Now, this is the secret uh, of their success and of their salvation, of their being sealed and delivered at the time of purification, that they have put on the, as the elect of God, they have put on balls of mercy. So you must now learn to be merciful to all people, your enemies and everyone else. You must have bowels of mercy. You must feel it to be merciful. Kindness. Now you want to learn to be kind. Study to be kind. Look out for opportunities to be kind and humble. It's not natural for you to be humble. It's not natural for anybody to be humble. Moses was the humblest, we're told, the meekest man, and yet look what happened to Moses. He wasn't meek and he wasn't humble. At that moment. And it cost him the privilege, which was dearest of all to him, going into the promised land. Humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. Well, we can suffer quite a while, but when we suffer beyond that quite a while, then that's too long for most humans, and then we cease to suffer anymore. Then we get wrathy and angry. Too bad. This is something we must overcome, or it'll overcome us. Forbearing one another. What does this mean now, forbearing one another? This means means giving countenance to evil, giving countenance to insubordination, disobedience, giving countenance to all these things that God frowns upon and bids us not not to countenance. What does it mean, forbearing one another? What do you say it means? Forbearing one another. Well, if you forbear, what do you do? If you forbear to lie, what do you do? Well, you refuse to lie. You refuse to lie. You don't lie. If you forbear to eat what you believe is not lawful to eat, what do you do? You just don't eat it. You forbear. Now, forbearing one another means that if uh, something comes up to provoke you, what do you do? Give them a piece of your mind? You don't do it. Or if uh, somebody misuses you a little bit, Uh, You feel to have uh, bitterness toward them, you don't do it. You ask God for grace not to be bitter. If someone reproaches you, you forbear to reproach them or to deal with them in kind or to retaliate. This is what forbearance means. It simply means you don't do it. You just, you keep from doing it. But you must have grace to keep from doing it. If you don't have the grace, you're bound to do it. You see the difference? You have to have grace. All depends upon having grace. So you must seek the Lord for grace. Now, how do you seek the Lord for grace? Where do you go to get the grace? He says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that ye may obtain mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. Now, this is what we're talking about, these times of need here, you see forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? We ask the Lord to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And above all these things, put on charity. All these things are very grave and important. But above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So if we're ever going to come into the bond of perfectness, then we're going to put on charity. And charity involves or charity comprehends all these other virtues, these other qualities. If we have all these other qualities, we're going to have love. They are what make up love. And we can't create love. We can't generate love. Love comes as a gift of divine grace. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So now, if we all were dwelling in the bond of perfectness, you see what a difference there would be. We rise above everything. We would show that we are risen in Christ. And above all the natural man, all that besets him, all that comes out of him uh, from inside and is provoked from the outside. We'll find ourselves now in a new bond. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. If you have the bond of perfectness, what are you going to have? You're going to have the peace of God. You're going to be joyful, but you're not going to be foolish or uh, light and frivolous, but you're going to be happy. You're going to rejoice. Going to be smiling and cheerful, radiant. Well, all that's going to be vastly different from being given to foolishness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. We certainly would be thankful then. Now, this is this is the ultimate objective, uh, the, the ultimate target. If we can get, if we can reach that, hit that target. Well, then we're surely going to be thankful. can't be anything else but thankful then. We have this peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. If I have one great regret, it is that I failed along the way to memorize as many scriptures as I could have. So now at the end of the way, toward the end of the way, it's very difficult to memorize scripture. For you young people, you don't realize what a terrible... Um, uh, thing it is, is, to pass up your opportunity to memorize scriptures, as many as you can. Pack them into your mind, one right after another. They'll stay there. Uh, I I see that with my wife, when she learned a lot of uh, scriptures, and she still knows them, same way with songs. I didn't do it. I, I familiarized myself with the content of the scripture. And I I fixed the scripture in my eye, the position, of the page. And that's about what I learned. I didn't fix the... The verse in my mind, the chapter and the verse exactly, and the and, and you know, learned it verbatim. Some, some yes, but not nearly as many as I should have. Now, this this is what it means to fix your mind upon heavenly things. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For the things of earth are taking your time, all your time. The things of the earth are taking practically so that they're robbing you of any time to study the Word of God and memorize the Word of God and contemplate the Word of God and, and make an effort now uh, to practice the Word of God. These are the things that the devil is uh, introducing all the time in one way or another, one subtle way or another, he's introducing these new things. Every week, almost every week, I get junk mail that is advertising a new magazine. It's an amazing thing to me, one right after another, In the last six months, it's been so. One new magazine after another. Why is this happening? And they're all supposed to be good magazines, too. What if you subscribe to all these things that seem to be good magazines? What would you be doing? You'd be doing nothing else but, but trying to read these magazines. You see? This is what the devil wants us to do. And get a newspaper on top of it. And the reader's digest on top of it. You see? I take U.S. news, and that takes too much of my time. Even though I don't read at all, I read what I think I need to be familiarized with, and leave the rest. This is the devil's program. See? Now, on top of this, you've got the cares of of life, of the world, to keep you busy. So now, and then you have to eat, you have to sleep, and the time you get done with your your uh, work, whatever it may be, then. If you're out in the world, you got to look at the television a little bit. What time do you have for the Word of God? None at all. The devil's got you on the run, and you're going just as fast as you can right down the road to or the cliff, if you're in the world. Well, now, that we know. But it shouldn't be so with us. That's why we don't have television here. You can't handle television. No one can handle television. You can't handle television and handle your soul at the same time. All right, now... Uh, the devil's got another scheme is to get get our minds off on other things, You reading other things. Now, there's some things we need to read, to educate ourselves. Some things are legitimate, not only legitimate, but they're, they're actually indicated. They're, uh, they're edifying, they're necessary in our work. But we have to be careful and have to be uh, selective and uh, cautious about what we feed upon. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I know the Lord looks down with beaming countenance upon that individual that uh, presents this picture to to, uh, the world. That the word of God dwells in him richly in all wisdom. And see what God can accomplish through this person. Teaching and admonishing one another, not talking about each other, but teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So they know psalms and they know hymns and they know spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is the kind of person God wants. Now let us put this person up, uh, stand him up and look at him and look at ourselves now and see how much like this person we see ourselves to be. And this this will tell us how far short we are of the goal of grace and whosoever and whatsoever ye do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus how can we say that we everything we do we can look back upon and say i have done this in the name of the lord jesus Folk, well, this is a tremendous challenge and not only a challenge but it is a um, grave responsibility to do everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means we have to stop and think when we talk, um, when we write, whatever we're doing. Check ourselves. The other night down there at the church, I wanted to say a lot of things that I thought they needed to hear. But I knew if I said them that it was going to spoil everything. it was going to make their hair stand up. It was going to prejudice them the more even though it was true. And they needed to hear. They should hear. They should know. I, I tried my best not to do it. Because if I had done it, then I w- would not would not have gotten an inch at all. I don't know whether I got a half an inch even at that. But at least we tried. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I think the best example in the Bible of, of uh, succeeding to practice this principle is Paul's Defense before, well, the three of them, the three rulers: Festus, and Agrippa, Agrippa and, Felix. and Felix. Marvelous how Paul handled himself. He had this wisdom, and also, also, uh, he he well acquitted himself so far as uh, being able to exhume the knowledge he needed to present when he was atop the Areopagus or Mars Hill. But he wasn't depending so much on the Lord then as he was upon philosophy, upon what he'd learned. So when he came down after having not accomplished as much as he knew he could have accomplished, even though he succeeded in reaching a few, when he came down and he thought it all over and the Holy Spirit convicted him, then he was determined after that to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And that's what this is talking about right here before that, he tried otherwise, but after that he didn't, for he saw the futility of it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Well, probably verse 18, the the wives accomplishing this depends largely upon uh, the husbands doing what verse 19 says. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Well, uh, parents seldom succeed in getting children to do this because they, I guess, fail to Respond to the Lord pretty much too. But that doesn't relieve the children of their responsibility. God holds them and will hold them in the end. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now what if your parents tell you to do something evil? Does this include that? What does the Bible teach? What does it say in Timothy? Obey your parents In in the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, if, uh, if you're working for the Lord, then whatsoever ye do, not only if you're working for the Lord, but if you're going to have success in any line, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. Put your whole mind into it. Put your whole heart into it. Put all you have into it. You have to to be consciously thinking about this and praying about it and studying about it. You have to be on your tiptoes all the time, alert. And this concept has to possess you. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Why does it say, and not unto men? Well, because some somebody has to be responsible for whatever uh, order there is. But you're not doing it unto them. You're doing it unto the Lord. If you're doing it unto them, you're not doing it unto the Lord. You're not going to do it heartily. You all remember this. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Man can't give you this. It doesn't make any difference how hard you work for the Lord. Man can't give you anything. You say he gives you promotion but that's not going to promote you into the kingdom. Only God can give you this inheritance. So for whom are you going to work with all your heart? For the Lord. For what did he do for you? That's what he did for you. And shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Titus, the first chapter In the first two verses, Paul, the servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. What faith did Paul have? He had the faith of the elect. And the faith of the elect is the kind of faith we've been reading about in Colossians. According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. When did God promise it? Before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandments of God our Savior. Then he goes ahead and says he's committed to Titus too, and it will be committed to us. Now come over to verse fifteen. Unto the pure. All things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. This you see manifest all the time. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. What's reprobate mean? Well, if a person is reprobate, what do you say he is? That means that means that he is affected by everything that is is uh, negative to virtue. He's just that kind of a person. For chapter 2. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, this is an admonition that we all need to lay well to heart we be sure we know what sound doctrine is that if we don't know it's sound doctrine uh, uh hold our peace about it don't venture to discuss it and and uh, play with it uh, many do it and it's, it leads on to trouble to divisions schisms quarrels but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the a- that the aged men be sober Grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Well, the youth don't have to be this way, or the middle-aged folk don't have to be this way. Only the aged, right? No. You don't think so? You and you and Jean don't agree. How about the rest of it? Well, this has got to apply to all, but. Naturally, it's got to apply to those who have had more opportunity uh, to learn and, and have been in the way longer. The aged women likewise applies to the aged women, too. That they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Just the aged women or the young women, too? What do you all say? Yeah, it includes everybody, too. Be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things are going to be teachers and teachers of good things now if you're going to be teachers of good things you have to study about good things you have to fill your mind with good things so that good things come out of your mind naturally as as uh, words come out of a talker's mouth that they may teach the young women to be sober to love their husbands to love their children we know of a case where the mother seems to influence her daughters and her sons in a negative way rather than encouraging them to possibly i should say rather than staying out of of the entire situation but uh, encouraging them in a positive way uh, to endure and to improve uh, to uh, grow in grace and to be patient and overcoming and so on encourages them in a negative way that is a, a sad thing. That they, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now you can see here's another way that the word of God can be blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, Okay, all the young men be exhorted to be sober-minded, and the young women, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good work. Now, this is the, the probably the dominant theme of, of the books of of um, right next door to us here, Timothy. This is what Paul admonished Timothy, was to uh, acquit himself in doctrine and being a pattern of good works so that his youth be not despised. And doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity. What's gravity? Soberness, weightiness. Yes, A weightiness, sincerity. Now, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Well, this eliminates all that is the opposite of gravity and sober-mindedness. Come over to Philippians. This is where I want to read that scripture. Philippians, the fourth chapter, and the eighth verse. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If There be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now why do he put good report last? Well, you may present some things that are true, but not a good report. Well, somebody will say, well, it's true, Whatsoever things are honest. A person may be honest, he may tell you what he, he knows, uh, what he's heard, he may tell you to you just exactly as it is and not lie about it at all, but it's not good report. whatsoever things are just. It may not be just to do it and it may not be pure. So, uh, it may not be lovely and generally not lovely. So, what is the important thing here? That we be sure that whatever we talk about is of good report, whether it's honest, whether it's just, whether it's pure, whether it's true. And if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. All right. Now, what did Colossians say? Is, uh, the last chapter of Colossians. I think it's the last chapter. Let me see. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And what did this one say? Sound speech that cannot be condemned. This is Titus, chapter 2, verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is in the contrary part may be ashamed. So now this is the way that we're going to reach those of a contrary part. They may be ashamed having no evil thing to say to you. You won't be able to do it. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining. What's purloining? Taking things. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior In all things. Think about it now. As you go about in all things, you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This tells you the Savior is God too. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Everyone has an equal opportunity. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So, this tells us again Christ is the great God who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all inquiry and purity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And Peter speaks about the same people, a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Put it. Put them in mind, chapter 3, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. What does Paul say? To put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Well, we have to study to know how to do this, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. You see what this chapter is about? It's it's about good works that the elect are to do. This is how the elect are to be disciplined. And that's the title of this study, The Discipline of the Elect. But they put them in mind to be subject to, to principalities and powers, to be, obey magistrates, to be ready in every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. What are you to show? all meekness unto all men, and to speak evil of no man. Now take that home with you and and think about it all week. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared Not by works, let me reread that, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Now this is about works, or the good works that the elect will perform, but rather than performing them by rote, what is the performance to be? What is to motivate it? What is to actuate their performance? Love. Love. They're they're converted people. Yes, their performance is natural, it, it's, the, it, it's outgoing, it's something within expressing itself. Uh, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, this is what's ca- accomplishing it, which he shed on us abundantly through the Lord Jesus, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Now, see if you can remember this and convert it into practice, that you affirm these things constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So which comes first, the justifying grace or the good works? Justifying grace. The justifying grace. If, if we are not justified by grace, we won't perform these works. If we try to perform, there won't be what God will accept. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish questions. What are we to avoid? Foolish questions. And genealogy. I tell you, some are stuck in genealogy. They just love to dwell in genealogy and foolish questions. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. See what they were contending about, Paul was having this problem and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Then he mentions two it says that they, uh, the 13th brings brings Zenas the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works, for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now turn to First Peter quickly. I don't have much time left here. First Peter one, and second verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, this gets us into something that constitutes a great concern among Christians. It's a mooted subject. The elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I don't see why anybody hangs up on this. What does it say the election depends upon? Foreknowledge of God the Father. Well, it says that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, uh, we are elected. But what's it say the election depends upon? Arbitrarily upon God's will? What does it say? Thank obedience. That's what it depends upon. So now if God had foreknowledge, what did he have foreknowledge of? Those who were going to be obedient and those who were not going to be obedient. And this takes us back to Colossians, the first verses that we read this afternoon. See? This is what determines our election. That's the only election there is. I want to read you two two or three statements here about this. Let's see, there's one in uh read Colossians 312. Oh, yeah, I read you Isaiah six uh, read Isaiah sixty-five nine. And now I'll read Testimonies of the Ministers. Just two statements here. This one in Testimonies of ministers, Ministers, uh, page 103. I ask you in every city, in every town, in every household, I ask every individual to study the lesson of this scripture, bearing in mind the words of inspiration. Now, she hasn't cited the scripture yet, but I want to repeat this. I ask you where? In every city, in every town, in every household, I ask every individual to study the lesson of this scripture, bearing in mind the words of inspiration. Now, here are the words. What do you think they are? You all know them. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, in this scripture is wrapped up the truth about election. Now, how is it so? Here is presented the only election that is brought to view in the word of God. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Now, what does this show you about election? This shows you plainly, think about it, this shows you plainly that God never foreordained anything, never predestinated anything. That is arbitrarily. This shows you, you can fall. If If you want to fall, you can fall. Is that what it shows you? Says, take heed, lest she fall. So if you if you heed this, you take heed, then you won't fall. So this implies volition, that you can, if you want, prevent it. If you don't want to prevent it, then you 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 let let it be. So you will fall. Now this is the kind of election the Bible deals with. It says here is presented the only election that is brought to view in the Word of God. So w- when Paul says here that uh, the, uh, the election was foreordained of God. What's he talking about? That God from way back in eternity saw down the the um, prospect of the ages and he saw all men, what they were going to do, what they were going to be disposed to do, what they were going to actually do, what they were thinking to do, what choices they were making, see whether they were making choices to enable them to stand or to fall. And that's how God has foreordained them, that in the end, He saw those that were foreordained to stand and those who were foreordained to fall. But he didn't have anything to do with it at all, save that he made available grace. And all men uh, are elected into that grace, you see. So we can stand before the the, uh, throne of grace, and we can obtain mercy. That shows you that God did not arbitrarily determine that man would either stand or fall. We can obtain mercy. You see this? Now, if you obtain mercy, then God forgives you your falling, your sin. So if you want mercy, you can have mercy. If you don't want mercy, you don't have to have it. God will give you what you want. That's the kind of election there is. It is those who take heed, lest they fall, that will be accepted at last. There can be no presumption more fatal than that which leads men to venture upon a course of self-pleasing. That's what causes the fall. In view of this solemn warning from God, should not fathers and mothers take heed? Should they not faithfully point out to the youth the dangers that are constantly arising to lead them away from God? Many allow the youth to attend parties of pleasure, thinking that amusement is essential for health and happiness. But what dangers are in that path? And she got a big exclamation here. The more the desire for pleasure is gratified, the more it is cultivated and the stronger it becomes. Same with anything else. The life experience is largely made up of self-gratification in amusement. God bids us to beware. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now this statement over here on page 454, And I started reading uh, from 452, and I read into 453 for prayer. Now I'm reading from 454 and 455. This is dealing now with the same thing. The great light and privileges bestowed require returns of virtue and holiness corresponding with the light given. Anything short of this, God will not accept. But these great manifestations of God should never lull to security or carelessness. They should never give license to licentiousness, or cause the recipients to feel that God will not be critical with them, because they think He is dependent on their ability that's what a lot think, and dependent upon their ability and knowledge to act a part in the great work. All these advantages given by God are His means to throw ardor into the spirit. What are they the means of? To throw ardor into the Spirit. This is what God wants to see in people. He wants to see some ardor. God hates to see people who are just dragging along spiritually and physically too and mentally too. He wants to throw ardor into them. And that's why he made these appointments of grace. All these advantages given by God are his means to throw ardor into the Spirit, zeal into effort, and rigor into the carrying out of his holy will. Now all of you get a hold of this and chew on it good. For there's lots of meat here and lots of nourishment in it. Think of it again. Ardor, zeal, and rigor. You, my brethren, fold your hands and drift into evil practices and then wait for God to work a miracle to change your characters and compel you to be pure and holy men. Will you expose yourselves wantonly to temptation, expecting God to force your mind and inclination that you may not be corrupted? Will you take the viper to your bosom, expecting God to put a spell upon it so it will not poison you with its venomous sting? Will you drink poison, expecting God to provide an antidote? While under God we are to use means in the saving of our own souls, we are not to depend on what we can do alone, thinking that will be able to save us. While we must work with heart and soul and might, we must do all in and through Jesus. But truth as it is in Jesus must be brought into the heart and into the life, into the home, and into the church. God will use the channels he has provided for the flowing through of his grace. Now, this takes your mind to the uh, chart of, Ze- of uh, Zechariah the fourth chapter and he's got these channels and he wants his grace to flow through these channels and the truth to flow through these channels. But before the truth and the grace can flow through the channels what does he have to do? All oh, that my brethren would be men according to the great web of humanity realizing that they are a part of God's great uh, whole in creation in redemption. Only be men, and then you make a decided advance in being Christians. The means is provided, and no one will have any excuse for sin. If you fail of overcoming, there are reasons for this. You will not obey God's revealed will. Ye will not pray, ye will not strive, ye will not fight evil habits and unholy thoughts. Are ye stronger than God? Can ye dare, can ye, dare ye contend with the Father, with the Eternal? If you are not proof against God's judgment, proof against his vengeance, then go no longer in, go no longer in your own evil ways. Arise and make a stand against Satan. Be doing something and do it now. Repent now, confess, forsake. A day of fire and storm is about to burst on our world. Conform your life to the simple prescriptions of the Word of God. Seek the aid of God's Spirit by prayer, by watching thereunto, and ye will come off more than conquerors through him who loved us. Read 1 John 4:10. Now this statement here in conclusion. Chosen for what? There is an election of individuals and the people, there's an election of individuals and a people. Now God's elected this people, He's elected the Adventist people, and He's elected the hundred and forty-four thousand. The Adventist people should have been hundred and forty-four thousand, not three million, uh, with a lot of tears among them. There is an election of individuals and a people. The only election found in the Word of God where men is, where where man is elected to be saved. Many have looked at the end, thinking they were surely elected to have heavenly bliss. But this is not the election the Bible reveals. God hasn't elected anybody to have heavenly bliss. He had not elected anybody to have perdition. What is he elected? He elected man to have grace. See this? That's the election. The election is of grace. But this is not the election the Bible reveals. Man is elected to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Everybody's given the choice by grace to succeed. He is elected to put on the armor, to fight the good fight of faith. He is elected to use the means God has placed within his reach, to war against every unholy lust while Satan is playing the game of life for his soul. He is elected to watch and to prayer, to search the scriptures, and to avoid entering into temptation. He is elected to have faith constantly. He is elected to be obedient to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that he may be not a hearer only, but a doer of the word. This is Bible election. Now, I want to let the uh, emphasis remain on this uh, thought. He is elected to be obedient to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So now, if we find ourselves becoming careless or putting a lesser premium on some parts of the word of God on the testimonies, the message, and upon other parts, then we find ourselves compromising. One compromise will lead to two compromises and two to three and so on. So whatever the message teaches us at this time, if we're going to be among the elect and if we're going to um, stand through the discipline that the elect have to stand through and to perfect themselves in so that they so that they finally attain to the bond of perfectness, then that means we're not going to let the bar down on one single requirement of the message. Not one. Whatever it is, we're going to take it seriously. We're going to do it. You've heard me tell about the time I went to Brother Hadduff and said, Brother Hadduff, there's lots of agitation about Justification by faith and righteousness by faith, and uh, want to talk to you about it. And uh, so he he was illustrating. He said, "Well, righteousness by faith is this," and he opened his Bible. Uh, and he wasn't the man that believed in just opening your Bible anywhere, any time, and reading and thinking God had led you that. He he was simply illustrating. Now, open your Bible and let's see what this says. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. Or right, he said, "Now do that." Do that. That's righteousness by faith. Whatever you read that God says to do, do it by grace. That's what God has appointed to us as uh, the uh, way of election, the only election of the Bible. Is that clear? Anything that the Bible says to do, anything the Spirit of prophecy bids us to do, anything the message calls upon us to do, do that. That's righteousness by faith. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.basianhill.org and you can call us at 417 835